0: Well, I invite you to take your copy of God's Word, if you have one, and turn to 1 John, 1 John chapter 5. So this morning we focus on a very short passage, just two verses, and a very central concept this morning. As we ponder our worship and the preaching of God's Word, we will celebrate communion together as a church family later on. All too often we will take a verse or a couple verses and we will isolate them and we will try to understand their meaning apart from the passages that they are a part of or the context that is around them. And I'd like to submit as we look at our verses for this morning that we need to be very careful to understand the context in which we find them. Uh, For those of you who travel perhaps internationally, you might know there's a little saying, uh, cash is king. Wherever you go in the world, uh, most people nowadays take credit cards or maybe a check or something. But you always know, particularly maybe if you're on the side of a road, a market or something, that cash is king. That is, they'll always take your cash. In studying God's word, in immersing ourselves in the Bible and seeking to understand God's truth, there's another saying, which is very important. Context is king. It's very important that we don't take a verse out of its context, but we understand its surroundings. And so that's what we'll endeavor to do this morning. So let's look at our two verses for this morning. It's 1 John chapter 5, and actually I am going to begin in verse 11, just to give context, but our verses are verses 16 and 17. Verse 11 says this, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that we should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin. But there is sin that does not lead to death. That's a lot. Powerful punch in just two little verses there. So let's begin here. John opens his letter by talking about joy. He closes his letter by talking about Christian assurance. It is his great emphasis that we would know what the new birth looks like. And that we would have confidence that indeed we are the children of God. That we have been born again. In fact, verses 11 to 13, those are perhaps the clearest statement on Christian assurance that you will find in the entire New Testament. All throughout John's letter, he speaks of the new birth. The life of God in the life of people. What does it look like? Because the key truth for a Christian is that God's spirit lives inside of us. He dwells in us. And so of necessity, we're going to be different from those around us and different from who we were before we were born again. And now. John, as he comes to the end of his letter, he wants us to walk in confidence. He wants us to walk before him in confidence that we know that our sins are forgiven. We know that God has accepted us. We know that when, not if, when we die, we will spend eternity with him. And what John does is he links this confidence to our prayer life. Because prayer is our personal communion, the expression of our relationship with God. It is when we talk to God. But now watch what he does with confidence in prayer. He makes an unmistakable connect regarding confidence in prayer and praying for other people. That is, he wants us to be others focused. Our confidence, our assurance as a believer in Christ should most naturally express itself to those around us so that we can be a blessing to other people so that we can build others up so that we can refresh others and be good news to them. In fact, when Paul speaks about spiritual gifts, he trips over himself and he says it over and over and over again, that spiritual gifts are designed to build other people up. What God has gifted you with is designed to help others in their walk with the Lord. Being others focused accords perfectly with what our Lord himself taught. Luke chapter 10 verse 27. When asked about the great commandments. Jesus answered, verse 27, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. That's the greatest. To love God with all of your being, every part of who you are, every fiber of who you are, to love God, and love your neighbor as yourself, vertical, horizontal. Today, we oftentimes leave out the first part, and we can't do that. We, to love our neighbor is to first love God, to love God for who he is, so that we can then correctly love those around us. Paul said the same thing to the Galatians. This whole concept of being others focused. Chapter 6, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the love of Christ. Do you want to fulfill God's Law, if you will, the law of Christ, who Christ is, what he embodies, what he taught us. Then Paul says, roll up your sleeves, get into other people's mess, get out of your comfort zone and bear one another's burdens. We, as believers in Christ, in the context of the larger body, should not be bearing our burdens alone. Paul says, bear one another's burdens. Your burdens, your grief, your sorrows, your disappointments, your challenges rightfully become mine. And vice versa. Now watch how James comes in and ties it all together. Chapter 5, the first part of verse 16 Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Bearing one another's burdens often means praying for one another. It means having friendships that are more than an inch deep where you can confess. We can confess our sins and our shortcomings to one another so that we can then pray intelligently For one another. So these themes that John talks about in his own way, I just wanted to highlight. You see him swimming all throughout the New Testament. So basically, our premise this morning is simply this pray for one another, pray with confidence, and pray specifically that we would stand strong against temptation, particularly as we fall into sin. That we would quickly get out of that ditch. So the focus of our prayers is to pray for one another. And this is an idea, a concept that I would like to develop. If we pull up the next slide. The reality and the effects of sin. You see, so often when we think of praying for one another, it's a beautiful thing to pray for our Aunt Helga's broken toenail, all of those things that we always like to incorporate, and people, and I I say that in jest, but when we remember those that we love who are facing physical challenges or who are sick, it is a good thing, as Tracy did this morning, to pray for those who are grieving, I'd like to add add Diane Coomer to that list as well. She also lost her father very recently. I'd also like to add to your list my fellow pastor Roddy from United in Action. His mom passed away uh, Wednesday morning. They had such a tight relationship. Um, He loved her and cared so well for her in her cancer. So we pray for one another in the griefs that we carry in the challenges that we face, the choices we make in life. But let us not neglect to pray specifically for what scripture clearly calls out. And that is simply this, the reality of temptation all around us, our own sinful nature, our own propensity To walk in sin, to fall into sin. I think I've said before, my neighbor growing up had a little uh, bumper sticker on his car. It said, lead me not into temptation. I can find it myself, right? I'm good at that. I can do that. John says, take this confidence that you have. That you are a child of God, that you're born again. There's confidence that you have that you can go anytime directly to the throne of grace. And you remember your brothers and your sisters in Christ. And specifically, you remember the great battle that we are all in. John Owen famously said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. So when was the last time... That you prayed that someone you know and love would stand strong in the face of temptation. And look, the better we get to know one another, we all know, we begin to know our besetting sins. We begin to know those specific poles and tugs that, that will wage war against our soul, as Peter said. The passions of the flesh. Now John lists, he talks about two different types of sin. A sin that leads to death and a sin that does not lead to death. He said don't pray about the one leading to death. Now here's a confession. I'm not sure what he's talking about. And trust me, I have read lots and lots and lots of commentaries and neither do they. So I'm not going to take your time this morning and give me my musings on what he's speaking to because evidently they knew. And that's one of the challenges we have is these are personal letters in the context of a relationship. And we don't always have the four one one specifically on what he is speaking to. We know we can correlate with other passages in scripture that there are sins that will lead to death. We know that. I believe what he is speaking to is the everyday life of a Christian facing temptation, walking in our own sinful bodies and being bombarded with temptations. All of those things, our own personal history, our family of origin, our own trauma, all of these things which can lead us, if we're not careful, to go down the wrong path. John says, pray for them and know that God will hear your prayers. So I mentioned in the email that went out this week, I said, please bring your Bibles. So if you have your Bibles on your phone or in hand, I just want to walk you through very quickly kind of a jet tour of 1 John. Because we're coming to the end and we can see all these themes are all going to be tied together. John talks about sin He talks about truth. He talks about love. Loving God. Loving people. He talks about assurance. All of these things. And now he's tying these things together. So look at uh, 1 John chapter 1. Notice he begins talking about sin. We don't like to talk about sin in our generation. It's very uncomfortable. But I'm here to tell you the entire backbone of the gospel is the reality of our sin. It's why Jesus came. It's why Jesus, the son of God, became a bloody mess on a cruel Roman cross because of our sin. So briefly, look at uh, chapter 1, verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things that our joy may be complete right now. Watch what he says. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness. There's the first contrast, right? Light and darkness. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, look, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, are you kidding yourself? We deceive. That's not in the Bible. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we say we have not sinned we make him a liar and his word is not in us all right so the the concept of sin we're going to keep on going we're going to pick up this concept of sin and the cross and then we're going to talk about loving people verse 2 chapter 2 just turn the page My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. That's a big goal of this. Stop sinning. Like, don't do that. Why? Because sin alienates us from God. As believers in Christ, we know that our sins are forgiven, but we want our fellowship with him to be fresh and to be vibrant. But if anyone does sin, implication, you will We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation. There's our favorite word right there. Propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, well, he's a liar as well. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him truly The love of God is perfected. Sin, obedience, and love. Look at this. John is weaving them all together. Uh, Where am I? I am in, well, the end of verse 5. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which we have walked. And I know I'm reading a lot this morning, but please continue with me. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing you, which is true in him and in you because... And the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So he's talking about sin. He's talking about obedience. He's talking about Jesus has come to pay your price and he's not going to leave you. Pursue righteousness. But when you sin, you have an advocate. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And then he talks about loving people. So let's skip down to verse 26. There's a very important truth that he mentions, which is actually truth. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So now John is developing his message. There is truth and there is error. Do not be fooled by the spirit of this age, which is basically whatever works for you works for me. Tell that to Jesus who died on the cross. So now we continue verse 3. Now he's going to talk about the new birth regeneration, the life of God in the life of people. Chapter three, verse one, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And that's what we are. He's like, behold, look at this. This is amazing. We are the children of God. How through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and our faith in him. The reason why the world does not know us is that it doesn't know him. Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears we will be like him because we will see him as he is. Watch this, verse 3. And everyone, everyone who thus hopes in him Purifies himself as he is pure. There's the new birth. I don't want to live in a life of sin anymore. But I know that I stumble. But I purify myself. I set myself apart. When I sin, I confess it to God. Look at what he says. Verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. John is very direct. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. As he is righteous, according to his confession, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason why the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The entire reason why we have the Christmas story, the incarnation, why Jesus came was so that he could lay down his life for your sin and reconcile you and me to God who is thrice holy. By this, verse 10, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Do you see what he's doing? Obedience and loving people. They actually go together. And John is describing for us what the new birth looks like. Drop down to verse 16. By this we know love. That he. Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives. For the brothers. This is how we know what love is. Jesus came. Jesus suffered. Jesus died. For my sins. That is the supreme expression. Of love. And we have never seen. An expression of love like. That one. Why? Well, because Jesus, as we already read, was without sin. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. But he humbled himself. He was found in the likeness of his own creation. He came as a servant. He became obedient to death. And Look, we never say that about anybody. Because we all die. But Jesus is the son of God. Death has no jurisdiction over him. He willingly became obedient to death. Even death on the cross. Humiliation. A cruel Roman cross. That's how we know what love is. And you know what our mandate is now? To love others in the same way. You and I will never measure up to that, which means we always have work to do, which means we've never arrived, which means we can never become lazy in our walk with Christ. There are always new and better and deeper and more difficult ways that I can love other people. Chapter four, we're going to go back to this concept of truth. Remember John? He kind of cycles in. He says the same thing in different ways all throughout. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. If there is a generation that needs to hear this, it is our generation. Do not believe everything you see and hear out there. Please don't do that. He says, You test them. You use the word of God as your straight edge, and you see how it measures up. We're almost done. Verse seven. Back to love. Let us, beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love is from God. Love one another. Because God is love. The whole foundation of the gospel for God so loved the world. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Again, I'm telling you, John is very, very direct. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. Life is in Christ. In this is love, not that we love God. No, no. But that God loved us and sent his son to be the what? Propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us. Here we go again. He just said the same thing, by the way. We also ought to love One another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Do you see what he just said? You can't see God with your eyes. If you do, you'll die. How do we see God? How do other people get a glimpse of the God that we serve? When they see us loving like he loved us. By this, verse 13, we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. That's His testimony. Do not just reduce Jesus to a moralistic teacher. He came to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. And so we have come to know and to believe The love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love. Abides in God. And God abides in him. It is so beautiful. He takes all of these. Key Christian concepts. The truth of God. The love of God. Obedience to God's truth. And he mixes them all together. I'm almost done with this little jet tour. Chapter 5. Verse 1, everyone, that what he does here is remarkable, is brilliant. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father, loves whoever, has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his Commandments for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Did you see what he just did? Please don't miss this. He brings it all together as he finishes off his letter here. He's talking about obedience to God's truth. He's talking about loving God and loving people. And then he just merges it all together in those first few verses. If you love God, you will love people to walk in obedience with God primarily is to love those around you to see the image of God in the person next to you and to treat them with respect and love that is obedience to God. Why? Because so much of what God commands us is directly related to how we treat people. He just comes out and says it. He says, look, if you're going to walk in obedience, you'll love people. I leave you with this one verse. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. We're going back, actually, to our verse now. Pray for other people. Pray for those who are ensnared in sin, who fall to temptation. I want to remind you of the terrible, awful nature of sin. May we never take this for granted or become lazy in this respect. Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin will never ever breathe life into your soul. Well, does the Old Testament say in Proverbs that the eyes of a man are never satisfied. Whatever it is that you are lusting for or lusting after, I promise you. It will never satisfy you ever. Look at all the people who are filthy rich. Are they satisfied? No, they want another boat, a bigger boat, a bigger house, a bigger this, a bigger that. John says, listen, praise God for the power of the gospel. Praise God that he rescued us from our sins. As we live our life in this short little dot in time before we enter into eternity. May we not be controlled or fall into sin. It will cheapen our walk with the Lord. It will it will lead us to a place where we're not satisfied. It will cause us to be distant and to drift from God. He says, you be faithful and you pray for those that you know and love when you can see that they are in the storm and facing temptation and even falling into it. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your great love for us. We know what love truly is because you have loved us fully and freely. Lord, in the busyness of life, in the challenges, in the heartaches, in the decisions, in the disappointments, I pray in this very moment that you would refresh us and remind us that you love us, that you would speak peace to us. Oh Lord, may we be faithful to take the love and the comfort that you have given us and pass it along. And bless others with it. May we be faithful to pray for our loved ones in the face of temptation. May we take sin seriously and support one another by our prayers. Thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the free gift eternal life. Thank you that we do not spend our days working harder and harder trying to get in. What a vicious rat race that would be. Thank you for the offer that is freely made. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The person And the work of Jesus Christ. Who he is. And what he has done for us. His death. His burial. And his resurrection. Fill us with joy today we pray. In Jesus name. Amen.